Hello, welcome to Book Chat. I'm Carl Helliker, and with us is Jeff Silverman, returning once again to the scene of the crime. Nice Jeff, to be back. It's great to have you back here. Jeff uh, continues to write up uh, many articles for Sports Illustrated. He is also a screenplay and TV show author. He teaches magazine writing at Villanova University, and we're delighted to have him here. Today we're going to talk about his most recent book, Lardner on War, about the famous writer Ring Lardner. But before we do that, uh, Jeff, we have to congratulate you because your book, Bernard Darwin on Golf, has just won an extremely prestigious prize from Travel and Leisure Golf Magazine. Yep. Can you tell us about that? Well, they get a story in the, uh, in the uh, uh, January, February issue uh, on the 25 best golf books of all time, and they put together a pretty prestigious panel. Uh, it was one of the last things that uh, George Plimpton did before he died. Was, he was part of this panel, and uh, um, uh, they selected the best books, and uh, uh, mine wasn't just on the list. It led the list. It was number one, and I, I, I do want to say that as much credit as I'd like to take for it, it it's not mine. Uh, Darwin did the heavy lifting. He had never been collected in the United States before in a real volume, and his, his work is superb. We, we talked about him in depth the last time, and uh, when I started to read him, I just said, I've never read anybody better on the game than I love. And uh, I thought one day I'd have the opportunity, and after a couple of successful books, I said to uh, my publisher, when he asked what I wanted to do next, I want to put Darwin together. He hemmed and hawed and fought me a little bit, and I said, no, that's what I'm doing, or I'm not doing anything. Uh, he finally relented, and uh, the rest is, as they say, history. I mean, he deserves the, the accolade. He, th there is nobody that, that writes about the game better, and, and an idea of the company he's in, number two on the list was uh, P.G. Woodhouse, and number three was the great Herbert Warren Wind. You know, Dan Jenkins is on the list, Bobby Jones is on the list, their books, several tremendous books, but to, to be on the list is, is wonderful. To lead the list is a real testament to how good uh, Darwin was and how good he remains. He's never dated. He's always, uh, in a for a golfer, uh, there's no better person to read to understand what it is about this game that so attracts us and so confuses us and makes us crazy. Well, it's also a testament to your foresight to bring, them, bring him back because I don't think anybody ever heard of Bernard Darwin or uh, his role to the game of golf. So congratulations well, to you. I appreciate a of, that. A lot of it belongs to, with you. I thank you. Ring Lardner was the most famous journalist of the early 20th century. What made him so famous, and how would you compare him with Mark Twain? Well, uh, what made him so famous is, A, that he was all over the lot. He was tireless. I mean, in those days, uh, a nationally syndicated writer, which Darwin was, uh, which uh, uh, Lardner was, I mean, was literally in seven, eight hundred papers every day, every day. I mean, columnists today write twice a week, you know. He wrote every day. So there he was at your breakfast table every day. Uh, weighing in on the sports that we play and uh, also weighing in on other things. Uh, uh, he was not afraid in his column called in the wake of the news to talk about some issues of the day even though it was on the sports page. Number one, he was there. Uh, number two, he also wrote lots of stories for places like the Saturday Evening Post and Colliers, uh, of which uh, um, that's what Lord and Ryan Wars is, is made up of. So you not only saw him at your breakfast table, you also got him on the magazine rack. What separated him from everybody else writing about sports in, in the days that he, was, that, that he was at his biggest was he looked at the game with a different eye. These guys were not heroes. These guys were people who just happened to wear flannels when they played, I mean, baseball players. Um, he, didn't, he didn't romanticize them. He didn't mythologize them. He cut them down to size. That was very, very different. Why did he do that? Well, the guy liked to tell the truth. The guy was sardonic. The guy saw what was real. 
and wondering why we make heroes and myths out of people who don't deserve to be mythologized. Uh, in that way, he's very similar to Mark Twain. And of course, the next person in this line of thinking is a guy, is, you know, is an H.L. Mencken. You know? All of these guys realized that nobody you know, ever lost a cent underestimating the intelligence of the American people, <laughs> which is a sad thing. Uh, but uh, these guys could entertain, they could tell the truth, they could be funny in a way that even if they were, you know, sticking the knife in the front, you never really felt the twist. And uh, of course, by, by, by cutting things down to size, cutting people down to size, readers get a sense of, of superiority. On the other hand with Lardner, uh, because he was covering sports, uh, uh, he had a tremendous following among the sporting public. And, and look at the, these times, you know, the, the tens, the twenties when he was uh, in his ascendancy were great periods of American sports, college football, baseball. These were huge national enterprises. Teams were followed coast to coast. And he was there, even though he was based in Chicago, he was national by his reputation and national in his syndication. So he was there to be read. He was a colorful, wonderful guy who then went on and did Broadway plays when he came to New York. Um, he was all over. Uh, uh, if, he, if he were alive today, he'd be, I, I would like to say something like a Frank DeFord or a Rick Riley on steroids, but you, you <laughs> don't want to talk about steroids in sports right now. So, I mean, he was them to the nth degree. I mean, he, he, he was a master, even better because he kind of created the role for himself. It's interesting listening to you talk here, Jeff, because what's going through my mind, I'm saying, you know, in this day and age, I don't think a sports writer would have the credibility with the public to write outside his field. It seems like if a sports writer does try to do that, they're sort of derided. I mean, I don't know if it's the best example or not, and it's certainly not a current example, but somebody like Howard Cosell, he seemed to be mocked any, every time he talked about something other than sports. I, and which, is, which I always thought was a shame because Cosell was actually, as, 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 as egotistical as he was, he was good and he, he turned sports in a, in a direction that we could right. cover it as a real enterprise. Um, there have been some sports writers that have uh, gone on to other things. Certainly Jimmy Breslin was a wonderful sports writer. Uh, uh, though Pete Hamill wasn't a sports writer per se, he's written a lot about sports and gone on to, to write mm -hmm. other things. It's a great proving ground because everything that we need to know about human nature we see on the athletic fields. And, and uh, I think it's a, it's, it, it's a, if you can handle this, you can handle a lot of stuff. Uh, I don't think we do enough of it. In, in, we, com we like to compartmentalize people too much today. Right. Um, who was Jack Keefe? Jack Keefe, in a word, was a slob. Uh, <laughs> Jack Keefe was a, was, was a fictionalized character who was a pitcher for the Chicago White Sox who came up in 1914 basically on the imagination of Lardner. Lardner created this character and uh, 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 wrote a series of stories about him which are known as the Busher stories, which are all letters to his friend Al uh, uh, back home. And uh, we see his exploits. This is, this is the rube in the big city. Jack Keefe comes up from the minor leagues, goes to Chicago. Uh, he, he's not a city boy. He's introduced to city life. After a series of several stories about him, about, about uh, uh, nine or ten, of which the first, first five were, were, were collected by Lardner in uh, uh, the wonderful epistolary novel called You Know Me Al, and which I collected in, in an earlier Lardner volume called Lardner on Baseball, which also includes about eight or, uh, about. 10 or 12 other uh, Lardner pieces, uh, not just uh, uh, the Jack Keefe stories. Lardner kind of became a prisoner of this character, kind of the way um, Eugene O'Neill's father, who was an actor, became prisoner of the Count of Monte Cristo. He gave like 10,000 performances as the Count of Monte Cristo. The character was so popular, people wanted more stories. Uh, you know, there's just so much a person can churn out. 
uh, Lardner certainly created several other terrific characters, Alibi Ike, uh, uh, among others, in his baseball stories. But people wanted to keep reading stories about Jack Keefe. Jack Keefe really resonated with the public. Uh, so uh, this brings us, let's segue out of baseball into war. Uh, it's now 1914, 15, 16, 17. The war is happening. He's put away Jack Keefe for a year or two, but the war is going on. Lardner is a reporter, first, forced, first and foremost. He's got a nose for news. He wants to be where things are happening. He gets an assignment from Collier's Magazine to go to France for four weeks and cover the war. Uh, of course, he never got closer to the front than a mile and a half, but he goes over there. He sees basic training. Uh, uh, well, it wasn't so basic at that point. Guys were already uh, on the front and coming back to their camps. Uh, but he, he sees what's happening close to the war. He sees what's happening in France. He sees what's happening in England. And he comes back, and in addition to writing My Four Weeks in France, which is in included here, and what they are, they are his dispatches. He wrote uh, uh, seven dispatches uh, uh, in the month. In addition to the dis dispatches, he decides he's going to revisit Jack Keefe. Because sure enough, the war's going on. If I got to resurrect the character, I should send him to war. So Lardner wrote a series of stories. Again, he can't get away from this character. This is the character people want to read about, uh, where he sends Jack to uh, basic training and then finally goes over to the front. I want to show you something. This is uh, the original collection uh, uh, of the basic training stories. It's called Treat Him Rough. Notice it's Jack in uniform, uh, uh, but Get that baseball player metaphor going. There he is with his bat. Notice the ball really closely. It's the Kaiser. It's, it's again, Lardner sends his guy into the routines that any doughboy would go through and, uh, and uh, uh, gets him ready for war and does send him overseas. Uh, he has quite a, quite a gr group of adventures uh, uh, as he's going. And, and uh, um, because it's Lardner, uh, uh, don't expect Jack to be your traditional war hero character. Because in no way is, it, is he a war hero. I mean, he's just your basic doughboy with his basic Jack Keefe, slobby, uh, rude, crude attitude uh, going over there. Is he a full mouthpiece for, for Lardner? Somewhat. You know, his, his reaction to what he sees overseas is not unlike the reaction that we get from uh, Lardner in his own dispatches. If things aren't American, they're just not as good. Now, I want to just go back to and, and remind people of the times here. This is 1917, 1918 when these stories came out. Political correctness was not on the table. Uh, so he meets people by all of their stereotypical names, Germans or Huns at best, uh, 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 Italians or Dagos, French or Frogs. Uh, um, this is what he saw. This is his look at it. Uh, can we discount it? Well, we can discount it at the same peril that we have when we remove Mark Twain from the shelves because of his references to Jim in, in Huckleberry Finn. Um, you know, Lardner wrote uh, some columns, uh, uh, his sports columns going up, coming up to the war, uh, telling Americans, let's not eat Frankfurters, they're Germans. You know, let's find another word for Gesundheit. Um, that was his way of be being patriotic. It was also his way of kind of letting us see uh, Lardner was in no way a supporter of war. Uh, he believed that you know, this war was necessary, what's going on in the world needs to be stopped. But Lardner was not one to, to romanticize war uh, uh, any more than he romanticized what went on in the fields of play. Um, let's look at it in a real way. Let's have some fun with it. We can be humorous 
in looking at this thing. But in no way am I going to mythologize an activity that I don't necessarily think deserves to be mythologized. Heroes emerge in true fashion. Let us not make heroes out of people that don't deserve it. One thing I did want to, maybe this relates to what you're saying too, but I noticed that the, the letters were very colorful and written in a vernacular, kind of like uh, Mike Royko. Maybe we could talk about him a little later. But uh, he is writing not to his wife, Flory, but to his buddy, Al. Correct. How come? Well, uh, Jack's letters are to Al. Uh, Jack's letters uh, began years before in 1914 to Al before he was married to Flory. Uh, but also remember, uh, uh, this, this is guy literature, basically. You can say things to your friends you're not going to talk to your wife about, particularly when a young mademoiselle catches your eye and you're having a flirtation with her. Uh, this is full of that stuff. It's full of uh, um, a lot of off-color stuff, certainly gentle by today's standards, but fairly risque by, by uh, uh, 1917, 1918 standards. Uh, this type of stuff guys talk about. Uh, it's not the kind of stuff that a guy talks about with his wife. Even when Jack gets a little deeper and, and philosophizes some about war, this is also man talk. It's not, it's not, uh, it's not uh, uh, talk between the sexes. So Al understands Jack. Jack understands Al to the degree that Jack understands anything. Jack is who he feels comfortable writing to. Uh, Al is who he, feel com who he feels comfortable writing to. The letters continue there. Right, I, and I imagine, at least from my own standpoint, I thought the uh, letters much more entertaining than the diary, the dispatches. I guess was this the same? How the public felt back then too? Yeah, you know, interestingly, uh, one of one of Lardner's uh, a few uh, unsuccessful uh, volumes was uh, his own dispatches on the war. Partially because he never got to the war. He all he wrote about was his own experiences, not getting what he wanted, and dealing with red tape, and not liking French food, and being kind of angry that the beds are too small. This was not him at his best, but I think if you like Lardner, which I certainly do, you want to you want to see this. Uh, with Jack Keefe, he has a voice. He can continue that voice. Lardner never really felt his own voice coming through uh, 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 well in writing about the war, uh, and and that's a really important difference between the two. The Jack Keefe stories remain wonderful on war. He never got into it. He never got to the front. He never got to have the experiences he thought he would have. And while it's fun to listen to Ring Lardner comment on what the French are like and what the English are like, it's much more fun to see, to see Jack running off and having his adventures and letting the, the, the imagination of, of Lardner run wild. We were uh, going to start talking about uh, Lardner's impact on today's writer. Who did he influence? Whether, whether a journalist has read him or not, almost anybody because he completely changed writing in his own way, shape, and form in his time. Uh, certainly you can see uh, uh, direct links to uh, Mike Royko, who was a wonderful uh, columnist in Chicago, Jimmy Breslin in New York. Guys, both of these guys created wonderful fictional characters, not unlike Jack Keefe that they populated their columns with. But also if you look at a, a, a Rick Riley in Sports Illustrated, uh, a person, or Steve Russian, people who can cover sports seriously but with humor, uh, Lardner did that brilliantly. Um, Lardner uh, had tremendous reach and tremendous impact. He was a very popular writer in his time. And, and again, I think it's sad that, that he hasn't quite made it into the canon, though he certainly deserves to be there. His fans are legion. I mean, people as, as, as who would imagine that one of his great fans w w was Virginia Woolf? Loved his work. He's an important, serious writer who happened to be funny. He had an skewed, slanted look at things that, that helped writers get past the, uh, the old way of seeing things. In sports, if you look at sports writing before Lardner, 
It was all very distant, very far away, and the fictional writing on sports was almost all juvenile writing about, uh, about uh, uh, you know, Frank Merriwell, Baseball Joe, heroic characters who could do no wrong, who were, you know, completely clean and, and, and perfect. Lardner saw something different, and I think that all of us who write about sports today owe a tremendous debt. But I, I think the debt goes beyond just sports writers. He changed the language. He changed journalism. So his work seeps uh, 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 deeply into things. One of the, one of the reasons, it's funny, I, I did Lardner on war uh, uh, well before the current war. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you look, you know, Lardner kind of gave himself permission to look at war in a way that wasn't, as I said before, heroic mythological, a great enterprise. It's a difficult enterprise, it, you know, and while he certainly has respect for the guys that are fighting, he questioned, ac he questioned certain acts of war in his work. And in that way, I, I think he, you know, made today's writing on war in, in ways possible with what he did, because before him, it was all very different. It's funny when you mention that because that must have been very pioneering at the time because World War One, of course, when it was thought it was the great cause Tremendously. to make the world safe for democracy. Tremendously. But when World War Two came along, it was none of the great heroism. It was the, uh, in the background, it was to get the job done. Not to say there wasn't hero heroism, there was plenty of it, but it wasn't regarded as a holy cause. It was to get the job done. So that must have been even more dramatic back in uh, World War One, where Lardner is writing some, like something out of MASH almost. Oh, tremendous. I, I, I mean, what, one, of, one of the funny little little incidents in the, in the book, there, there are two. One is, is Jack Keefe, being the ball player that he is, writes a little piece for the uh, base newspaper on if the generals knew a little more about baseball, they'd be better at their strategy, S-T-R-A-G-E-T-Y, <laughs> than, uh, uh, than they are now, which actually elicits, imagine this, in 1918, elicits a letter back to him uh, in the book from General Pershing uh, that I would really seriously like to sit down and talk with you about how baseball strategy, because I was a ball player but not a really great ball player, how good ball strategy would help me be a better general. I mean, imagine what a leap that was. Uh, of course, uh, he does come to see uh, Jack. He does come to the base to see Jack, but Jack is, decides that day, well, I'm going to go look at this mademoiselle and actually misses his, uh, <laughs> the chance to, to, to meet and uh, contribute greatly to, to uh, winning the war. Similarly, he's wounded in the book. Uh, well, I don't want to give great details about it because I'd love you to go out and read the story for yourself because it's wonderful. I mean, it's the kind of, it's the kind of humiliating bullet wounds uh, that, uh, uh, you know, your basic heroes don't get. It's actually quite funny and very silly. And again, proves a point that uh, uh, accidents happen in war. You know, war is as accidental as it is planned. Right, but so we do get Jack uh, wounded here, and it does impact what happens to him after his uh, tour of duties up, right? Well, you know, he gets he takes a bullet in the arm and a couple in the leg, and one in each leg, and he does have to go to the hospital. He does have to rehab. Quite angry when uh, uh, the White Sox decide when he comes back that they're going to cut his contract, uh, take a hundred dollars off, because they don't know if he can, how well he can come back. And of course, he tries to hold out, but uh, as we learn in later stories, does in fact come back and. Uh, winds up in, in uh, along came Ruth, giving up a go gopher ball to the babe himself. So the war impacts Jack afterwards, too. Well, it's interesting here. Now, I was going, just going through my mind because when Jack comes back the following year, 1990s, when we have the great Black Sox scandal, uh, do you think Lardner might have had some inkling of some troubles in the baseball world? Because it's, unless it was just a sort of an uncanny prediction of that, he saw some trouble. Because he talks about how 
uh, Jack had trouble. He didn't like the management of the White Sox. Now, was, was, do you think there's any correlation, or is that just a shot in the well, dark? Well, Lardner never loved uh, Charlie Comiskey who owned the White Sox. Bought him a, a pompous old Roman, as he called himself, the old mm -hmm. Roman. Didn't like him. Did Lardner know there was gambling going on in baseball? Sure. I mean, did he know, uh, was there ever any fix in like the 1919 World Series before? Actually, there had been in the, in the 1800s. But Lardner was aware that, you know, ball players were susceptible to any, any kind of vice. And remember, in these days, the, the writers used to travel with the players by train. They were friendlier with the players. They had real relationships with the players. It wasn't the adversary relationship we have today. He knew stuff was going on. Um, and remember, the, the, the 1919 scandal did, didn't happen until the very end of the 1919 season. You know, they didn't lay the seeds eight months, okay. two years earlier. But uh, you know, Lardner knew that baseball was ripe for something. It sure came up a peach, didn't it? <laughs> It sure did, and there's something else that came up, <coughs> Peach, in a positive sense, is your book, Lardner on War. Uh, Jeff, thank you so much for joining us today. I encourage our people to, well, first and foremost, to go out by Lardner on War or Bernard Darwin on Golf. We have them both at the library, but they're excellent books. You might want to buy them just to read them at your leisure. Thank you for joining us today on Book Chat. I'm Carl Halliker, and we'll see you again.